1: The club. Welcome back to another episode of the Album Assignment Podcasts. My name's Dave. I'm one of the co-hosts along with my friends Mark and Gene. Last week, we survived some power pop, some folk punk, and a psychedelic trip. Tonight, we're going to face off with a potent dose of hard-hitting indie rock, some post-punk, and a classic piece of classical music. Would you guys like to
0: say hello? Hello.
2: Well done, Dave. Great Thank intro. You.
0: Thank you. Appreciate
2: that. Very nice. This is Mark. Good to be here.
0: This is Gene. That was really great, Dave. It's not true what they say about you. Well, thanks. <laughs> right. While well, you're insulting
1: me, Gene, would you like to introduce an album from 2002? McCluskey Does Dallas?
0: you are while you're falling apart and it open a can of
2: and my hand and I know it looks bad, but believe me, I'm innocent Full of flying and flying is fearful of me and i my eyes when she told me the news me i'm with my lightsaber cock
0: so i picked this I album in part because uh i know dave you have a lot of love for turnstile and in my uh in my brain, there is a connection there of kind of like a uh, pop influenced hardcore. Um, but also this album is just kind of the epitome of an album that those who know, know. And I don't think many people necessarily know. Um, I discovered this album, shoot, I, I don't see what year it was, 2002. I probably discovered this album a few years on from that. The band is from Cardiff, Wales. Um, my understanding of Wales is it is a very uh, rural and agrarian place with very rundown and impoverished cities um, of which Cardiff is one. Uh, the, the guitarist and vocalist is actually from Newcastle, which is in England, but the band started in Wales. They were originally called Best uh, after Pete Best of the Beatles. Um, Not a bad band name, actually. Yeah, um, this is this is their second of three albums before they broke up. This is one of those albums where I don't really listen to much else by this band, but I love this album. Uh, it's with Steve Albini producing, which makes this our second podcast in a row with a little bit of Albini. One of the reasons that really says why I like this album it, is that one journalist called it the most hilarious record the pixies never made uh and i'm just i'm a huge pixies fan. i I love them um uh or at least i love them i i haven't really been into them in the uh in the post kim years but uh i actually have it written
1: as do dallas but in my head i'm like that can't be right it's got to be does um but that you know that's neither well, here nor there. They, they like to flip things.
2: Like the first song, they like, they spell lightsaber like the Buffalo Sabres, S-A-B-R-E.
1: Right. And that's a uh, Rolling Stones reference, right?
2: I just thought that maybe like, the term lightsaber was trademarked by George <laughs> Lucas. So they probably can't spell it the right way. I was, re- I, I was
1: referring to the other part of the title.
2: The, oh, <laughs> the uh, long C word there. That you, Yeah, yeah. The lightsaber, just say it, Mark. Lightsaber, cocksucking blues.
1: Thank you. That's the name of the first song. So it comes out of the gate swinging. Um, Yeah, and it kind of announces, hey, we're McCluskey, we're noisy. Um, And I would say, unlike last, last episode's Cheap Trick record that Albini was on, you can hear the Albini here. Like this is in my head when I'm like, what does a Steve Albini production sound like? it's a lot like this album just heavy noisy raucous where like a lot of things feel like they're going to go off the rails and they don't make sense but then they tie back together and it still has kind of pop hooks um yeah so like right from the jump you know it's kind of aggressive and confrontational and noisy
0: but it's also songs you can sing along to and dance to the first song uh it's 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 not I, I... I would barely even say I really like the song. Um, I didn't like it at first, but what this album, really the core of it for me is they have this like, this almost like a formula where they have these really good like guitar melodies introduced early in the song and just a really driving rhythm section that's like uncontrollably good And then I really like the vocals. I really like what he does. And typically like the guitar comes in, cool melody, memorable, it fades away, he does the vocals and just everything's just driving and going forward and just rocking. Uh, And then oftentimes the guitar melody comes back. And, um, you know, for something this simplistic you really need good hooks, you really need good melodies. And I think they have them in spades. I will uh, challenge you a little bit on
1: your love of this album in a couple respects, Gene, because in the past, you've made it very clear that you don't like bands when they're kind of retreads or they're kind of doing something that's familiar and not pushing music forward in some way. And to me, this is very Pixie's influence to the point where a lot of times I'm just thinking this is like, this is cool, but it's I'm not hearing what they're doing, bringing anything new to the table as far as what you're looking for like doesn't bother me one way or the other but I'm surprised it doesn't bother oh, you it's just like You're just revving me up right now dave i'm no, waiting you know.
0: it out no, the yeah. pixies the pixies were never a tenth this nasty like the pixies had some weirdness but like there's not a viciousness i mean it is music and music is always going to be based on other music i think if you took a typical Pixie fan and played them one of these songs, I'm not sure you would ever hear anyone say, "Is this a new Pixie song? Did the Pixies change? Have a guest vocalist?" It just it, maybe you'd be like, "Is the Pixies' guitar player in McCluskey?" <laughs>
1: Because these riffs sound, these riffs remind me of the Pixies. I was definitely reminded
2: of other bands listening to this, but um, actually, the Pixies wasn't the one I had written down. But um, you guys feel free to continue. Uh, uh, we'll get no, to that no. In a you,
0: you can't say that and not say the bands. Okay. Well, there's a number well, <laughs> of bands I've cataloged. But they're they're neither here nor there.
2: <laughs> That's going to be kind of an ongoing theme, I think, for uh, for tonight. Because I I feel strongly about uh, certain influences for idols too, and I'm not going to say good or bad
0: um he literally just did the same exact thing. i just called yeah
2: yeah you gotta you gotta build you gotta build some suspense this is where you know like you cut to commercial and you hope that people come back because they're excited
0: just to summarize for the listeners at home mark has something to say and he will say it (laughs) oh i'm gonna say it people are there all right
2: (laughs) it's dripping with suspense all right mccluskey here you go i'll start with the good Okay, the album sounds great. Albini produced the shit out of it. It sounds awesome. It's full and rocking, and I love it. I love the way it sounds. The band is definitely talented. I can't deny that they can definitely play. If this album was released in the mid-90s when I was obsessively buying all the new punk rock I could get my hands on, like teenage me would have loved the shit out of this album. I would have crushed it constantly. All right, that's that's the good so we'll get to the bad basically kind of like how Dave hinted when, you know, we're talking about McCluskey and we're like, I don't know what that means. And it's just kind of silly and whatever. That's kind of how I feel about this whole album. This album is basically 36 minutes of in jokes and most of it is completely lost on me. And I don't find it to be any of it to be particularly clever or funny. Um, like Gareth Brown says, just for one example, like, I don't know what they're singing about. I'm sure they're rolling on the floor laughing, thinking it's the funniest thing, whoever Gareth Brown is, and referencing him. I found most of it to be extremely annoying.
1: Curiosity, how many uh, spins did you give it uh, approximately?
2: Uh, maybe, definitely three, maybe three and a half
1: to four. Because I will say, my first reaction to this album wasn't great. I was like, I appreciated that it, it was rocking, but I didn't, I didn't get the, the classicness of it. But i I've, I've, it's been a grower for me, and I think there's more than a, a handful of really good songs on this album.
2: That's fair. You know, it's funny. The, the last time I listened to it, I put it on in the morning and I, full disclosure, I don't know what was going on, but I was having a, I was in a shit fucking mood. I was just not having it. And I was walking to the train and I put this album on and Lightsaber Cock Sucking Blues took my head off. And I'm like, this is exactly what I need right now. And then the next song came on, No New Wave, No Fun, which is a great title for a song, by the way. But then again, by the time we got to basically fuck this band i'm like "Eh, it's funny but fuck this band
0: fuck this band and uh click application form kind of songs i'm just not into you know the lyrics are silly they're somewhat clever at times but also like it's not that hard of a joke to make my favorite song on the album is day of the dead ringers um i don't know if that hit at all with you guys and I think like, you know, after the first song, this album just really just takes off like a rocket until you get to fuck this band, which brings it down. Yeah, up until that point,
2: they've given you like, I mean, I can't deny they've given you 150%. I mean, right. they are like, you could you can like feel the sweat coming through, like these guys are bringing it.
0: And like the, and it's also like the vocalist just kind of wild, I mean, uh-huh. In, uh, in no new wave no fun that's when he has the crazy uh falsetto right and just like i don't know you kind of it's it's very unpredictable and i just think this album just sticks with me
1: to touch on the lyrics for a second as well because I, I totally get what you're saying that sometimes Dadaist lyrics don't matter and sometimes they're great because they end up mattering in a weird way you know but they have to work you know and I think a lot of these don't um, I, I just think there's there's like an ironic detachment in most of the lyric writing here there's like no and maybe it's because I'm juxtaposing it against idols where it's all very like, you know, they're wearing their hearts on their sleeves and they're being very vulnerable and they're singing about things that are important to them. And this is just like, they're singing about my band is cooler than your band. The world loves us and is our bitch. It's just, you know, it's kind of just simplistic and immature to the point where it's like, it detracts a little bit from the coolness of the songs at times, you know?
0: I don't know. To to me, that's uh, like, that's kind of just like punk rock just like they don't they don't really care what you think Dave. they write what they write and like is it immature like okay like you could say like you know the ramones were immature and their lyrics are really immature and like who cares they're awesome like I, but thats that's what i'm saying they were awesome these are not
1: (laughs) and it's totally subjective you know like I'm sure there's and maybe if this album hit when I was 13 I would care more about like clicks and what band is considered cool and I think it's hilarious but, but instead I don't really give a shit about anything they're saying at all and I don't think that you know the way they're putting words together is insightful or you know beautiful or clever it's just kind of there you know yeah I totally agree and I don't think it's terrible. No, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think it makes the album bad. It's just not helping.
0: Yeah, it's just interesting, like.
2: Uh, I, I think if I was a kid and I was singing along, I wouldn't care what you're actually singing. It would just be kind of funny to sing like, you know, Alan is a cowboy killer. Alan is a cowboy killer. But like the song itself, Alan is a cowboy killer. Like, okay, it, you
1: know, it's fun, but like, it's, I don't know. I'll say that's one of, definitely one of the highlight songs. It's got, it's just memorable, you know, and- Yeah, it is memorable. I think that
0: song, the dynamic, like that song is almost like shades of a Nirvana song. Or a Pixie Uh, song.
2: Yeah, I've got- got It's also by far the longest song. It's almost like two songs in one.
1: Yeah. By the way I, I love chases oh yeah yeah i mean to me it almost reminded me of like an elastica song or a, a brit pop song you know super catchy super fun the lyrics were you know neutral <laughs> very, very
0: very strange like clean guitar intro yeah killer um, song killer yeah. song
1: mark what, what did you think of uh, the vocals. I assume Andy Felkus is the singer because he's the songwriter. So. Yeah. And the guy sings hard.
2: I mean, like I said, these, like I said, I respect the intention and a paid part of it is that at least like they're not holding back. I mean, these guys are giving you a hundred percent and the singer is like he is intense and I respect that completely. And one of the things like, I think it's just kind of, this is kind of random, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it anyway. One of the things that I kind of found a little bit endearing about McCluskey in combination with idols is that, you know how some artists that are British, when they sing, they have like no accent. Elton John kind of comes to mind. Like he doesn't have like a strong British accent when he sings these two bands, like their accents come out hard and I love it. Like, I think it's very endearing and cool. And you don't hear usually like such a strong, like British or whale sounding accent. So I love this guy's voice. I thought it it was pretty cool.
0: Um, I would say, uh, I picked this album because I feel like it's a a bit of uh, an underrated classic. Um, There's a very good chance you guys would prefer the band that formed out of the ashes of McCluskey, which is Future of the Left, who um, is a lot less noisy, um, but... It's the same singer, guitarist, songwriter, um, and the drummer from the next McCluskey album and the bassist, they had, I I think, a fairly acrimonious split. Um, But Future of the Left carries on where McCluskey stopped. How are their lyrics, though, Gene? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is... Well, first, I'd like to talk about the lyrics and how bad they are.
1: Well, I want to talk. About, I want Gene's to. It's getting I, upset. I want I'm to talk upset, about
2: it. No, you get upset. That that's good. I think that that'll be good for ratings too.
0: It's just I keep recommending things, and like the arguments against them are like, all right, like yeah, the lyrics aren't that great on the on the grindcore album where you can't hear the lyrics. Admittedly, this album <laughs> you can hear the lyrics. You can hear the <laughs> lyrics, and they're right in your face.
2: Uh, good impersonation that was pretty that's pretty i I
0: wasn't impersonating i was just kind of being i liked it rehashing in his head
1: (laughs) the trauma of being ganged up on on the podcast welcome to the assignment uh, album assignment podcast motherfucker (laughs) well beyond the lyrics i gotta say that the vocals are not my favorite they're harsh I think they're harsh, they're kind of whiny at times. Uh, I admire how he kind of changes it up from track to track. Like he can do, he has some soft moments that actually work and he has some melody in his vocals, but sometimes it feels kind of affected to me. Like, I don't know how to how to describe it, but it's like, he's putting on a punk show instead of being a, a true, like authentic representation of himself. and you know that goes back to the lyrics too where it's like oh this this is a toss-off it's all a joke like on this song he, here's a bunch of nonsense lyrics and i'm gonna sing it like this crazy persona and then another, you oh. know um so yeah i did it's like an album i admire more than i love for some of these reasons you know uh but i do i do enjoy it a lot of it but it's hard for me to fully embrace because I've, I've just got these hurdles in the way you know even like uh we don't talk about sequencing with every album, but on this one, it's just like the sequencing isn't really beyond the fact that the album has that nice uh, restful part in the
0: middle of it. It's not really taking me anywhere. You know, I I like the sequencing other than when we talked about like how the album kind of ends. But I, I would say the songs get more elaborate towards the end. Um, One thing that comes to mind about the vocals and these three songs that I Kinda don't dig. Uh, it reminds me of what what Dave said when we were talking about um, the monks, which was like one of the keys to good songwriting, is that the song shouldn't annoy me. <laughs> 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 and, and, and I think like you know a little bit like when this doesn't work for for me, it's just kind of annoying. It's like you could um, make a fucking
1: incredible EP out of this album. I would give you that. Yay. I found most, like I said, I
2: found most of it to be incredibly, extremely annoying. But I do think there were it. certainly moments. You take that first track and a couple others.
0: I can't get past. You're like, you know, the first song's good, but the rest of it. And I'm like, well, there's three songs I'm not really into. One of them's the first song. <laughs> I guess this comes down to, I don't really. Um, for me, lyrics are almost always pretty unimportant so uh yeah and like i said i could you know um what is it um i love the
2: gene i love the gene lyric rant
1: (laughs) just one major element of i love it lyrics based music
0: right but it's i listen to a lot of music where you can't really understand the lyrics and like let's be honest lyrics are are pretty bad in general like (laughs) that's true if you took all music and just submitted some lyrics into like a poetry competition there's very few artists whose lyrics would stand a chance most of them are like a pasting of cliches together and it's just like <laughs> oh you know, wow. so like can i appreciate good lyrics yeah but that's not really why i listen to music and, and
1: jeans making pasta he doesn't really care if salt is used in the gravy. It's just, it's just an element he doesn't care about. It's neither here nor there. It's just
0: salt. I think, I think, there's, I think you there's, should there's, die
2: there's... on this hill, Gene. I love the fact that you're like, fuck lyrics. It doesn't really matter to me at all. I didn't, but, but they, every...
0: they can, they can be good and they can elevate things and they can be so bad that they detract. But in the middle, I'm just like, ah, you know, who cares? Like, when you hear them rhyme like baby with maybe in a song, do you just completely cringe at like, I can't believe they fucking did that, what a joke.
1: Not when Carly Rae Jepsen does it.
0: All right, But I'm just saying like, you know, I mean, pop music, there's so many conventions and so many cliches that it's like, I'm just not gonna get too upset or, you know, a nice little line here or there is nice, but I don't know. You know,
2: there's always once in a while a hand, like there's a few, like a small handful of bands that when they sing it is basically like a made up language it's just for the sound of the sound itself they're not actually saying something that can be translated into actual the language
0: prison colon enseman, cusol, or whatever
2: <laughs> you know and the two that come to my mind is sigaros from iceland magma. i might be mispronouncing i might be mispronouncing their name but yes magma would be the other one and that's a whole that's like cl- like inventing klingon or something that's the whole thing but um, you know, these bands exist, go check them out. I saw oh. Girls live once and that blew here. my mind.
0: Here's my, ch- did you fall asleep? What really is frustrating for me with this is I recommend albums to you and you guys give arguments that I know do not hold for albums you love. Mark, fish lyrics are trash. Fish <laughs> lyrics are trash. If you want good lyrics, if you demand good lyrics, you cannot like fish. They're not good.
1: So should, shall we grade? Do Dallas? Grade time. Uh, it's a tough one.
0: Is it?
2: Um, It kind of is because it's like, eventually you get to a grade where it's like, I mean, it's this it's not shit music. I mean it's good well-intentioned punk rock and it's just I don't know, it just didn't flip me out. It was
0: to hell with good intentions, of, Mark.
2: <laughs> you know? Just a very cheesy but good song title. Um I just uh, I don't know. I don't I don't get I don't get it. Maybe there was a void for this kind of thing at the time, 20 years ago. Why this is a classic, I don't know but in 2002, I certainly didn't have my finger on the heavy, hardcore punk scene. Um, I will say that I respect the fact that they got Albini to produce this. That says something about these guys, because you can't just get a guy that well respected in the, the music scene to produce your album. So he clearly either loved their earlier stuff, or I don't know, but props to you. And it paid off because again, that sounded on headphones. That was a Really good sounding record. Having said all that, I'm giving it a D plus.
1: Oh man, that that's wow. McCluskey's going to fail out of Album Academy <laughs> at this rate.
2: It just it came and went. It was fine. I don't know. It's, you know, it's Mark, not nothing for me everything. to really hold
1: on to.
0: Mark, who's an easy grader. <laughs> <laughs> the first track, though, which I will not say... Mark again. is madly in anger with this album. <laughs> he is. The, the first song,
2: I'm not going to say it again for fear that we're going to get kicked off the internets. Um,
1: that could get repeat plays. Wow. All right. I Look, I'm not, I don't want to step on your toes while you're grading, but I will say that, you know, it was a grower for me. And I think if you like that first song, there's there's a handful of others that you'll like as well. Like it's impossible to, to just love the, you know, lightsaber cocksucking blues, but I think the rest of it's trash.
2: Mm. <laughs> I just, I think again, I don't know. He came out so strong with such like, um such a heavy, like intense, funny ego trip where he's kind of like making fun of himself in a way, but he's just like, I'm banging all the chicks and I'm sore and, I you know flying is fearful of me and all this I was like this is awesome this guy's crazy I love this dude
1: so once he once he stepped out of that character yeah the
2: rest the rest of it was just like a a lot of it actually I just didn't find that funny and I'm like I know some of this is probably in jokes and things you know and then I'm like it just more and more of it felt like I'm not finding it funny because I think I'm just not picking it up and so for that D plus as they say on Shark Tank for that I'm out
1: all right that's fair um shark tank Tank (laughs) reference so mccluskey do dallas i had listened to it a couple times before i think based on your recommendation gene and i liked it but it did annoy me it it didn't pass the monks test uh (laughs) you know where it it just the I was weighing like how, how much it's cool and how much it sounds awesome versus how annoying it is. And it's, it's a pretty tough balance because <laughs> right? I, I, I find his vocals pretty annoying a lot, not always. And I find the lyrics pretty annoying a lot, but not always. But this was a case where, you know, listening to it repeatedly on the podcast, I started appreciating it more and more. And like, I was able to just embrace or accept the vocals and some of the lyrics, and just really realize that there's four or five, maybe six, really kick-ass songs on this album, and, and there's a lot of stuff that's just solid. You know, there aren't too many just total pieces of crap songs. That, you know, "Click Application" I think we all agree is kind of a downer, and "Fuck This Band" is kind of lame, but it serves its purpose. But man, like, I like what we what we've learned a lot. "Day of Dead Ringers" is great. Do you think "To Survive" is you know, it's straightforward, but I like it. But To Hell With Good Intentions, man, that's a killer song, and Chase's is a killer song. Um, so, yeah, I I ended up really liking this album a lot, despite my hesitations, you know. Um, at times, Fugazi and The Pixies and even Refused a little bit came to mind just because of how, like, noisy and messy and raucous it is. Um, it's definitely a rowdy album, uh, and I, I love the intensity of it. I just struggle with like the ironic distance that that the songwriter puts between his art and the audience. Like, I, I just really struggle to embrace that. So I don't know if I can ever fully love a band, you know, that that does that unless there's a shtick that they're totally committed to throughout that I, I, that speaks to me. McCluskey doesn't really do that. They're just not on that level. You know, it's not that clever. As Mark says, a lot of the humor I find alienating, uh, and a lot of the themes they're obsessed with I find obnoxious. So that's tough, but I understand why it's a classic. I totally get it, and I think it's a B plus album for me. I think I'll probably return to it. There's definitely songs I'll return to. I don't about the full album. Yeah, I'll probably return to it because it's you know it's it's not that taxing. It's a it's a short ass kicker. You know, it's it's. Very enjoyable, despite how <laughs> all my caveats about how annoying it is. It is actually a really good, very enjoyable album. I give it a B plus.
2: Wow, amazing! I'm gonna, I'm just gonna pretend like I didn't even hear Fugazi, <laughs> Pixies, and Refused. Oh my god!
0: Um, I give this album an A. Um, there are two or three songs that I'm a little bit like. Eh. The album could end better than it does. Um, I really like the song uh, Chases. Um, I think you could probably figure out a way to put who you know um, in the mix somewhere in the track listing. But honestly, Gareth Brown says would have been uh, or Alan as a cowboy killer probably would have been the ideal closing track. Um, The hidden track is kind of mediocre. Yeah. Like just unnecessary but that, that's you know i guess that's in the in the tradition of a lot of 90s hidden tracks um yeah i mean i think there's like i think dave nailed it when he said there's like five or six really really good songs on this and then a lot of other ones that are solid um so that's an a album for me
1: nice well we t- we just talked about one noisy band from the united kingdom so let's talk about another noisy band from the United Kingdom, the band Idols, with their album from last year, Crawler. that they they came on the scene a few years ago with an album that a lot of people called like an instant classic called brutalism since then they released a couple more albums including their second album which is called joy is an act of resistance which i was very tempted to assign as well i was debating between this one and that one because that one's a straight up masterpiece i believe their third album ultra Mono, i also really like but that started to um, annoy critics a bit. So Crawler was kind of like a big comeback album for them. Having faced down all those accusations and a lot of personal stuff, like at least two of the guys in the band have got sober since the first album and had some very serious substance abuse issues. Joe Talbot, the singer, um, you know, his mother died before the first album. And then his he and his wife, uh, their daughter died during Earth around their second album and so he's, uh, he's been through the ringer and you just feel it from this band in my opinion like the emotion in all their albums but this is maybe they're looking on crawler a little more introspectively you know it's not as political as their earlier albums the, the songs are catchy and they have like big anthemic choruses but when you listen to the earlier stuff there's a lot of humor this album isn't very funny you know there's a couple cheeky lines here and there but Uh you know in earlier albums they're like tossing off references to stone cold steve austin and you know really oh and they're hilarious i have no idea i I really wanted to assign that because i was you know wanted to fight with gene about whether humor belongs in music because idols can be a very funny band but this is a, a little bit more of a serious straightforward like reckoning album of like okay i gotta get my shit together album And yeah, I just think it's incredible. I think the sound is unique. Um, It's very, I I realized as I was thinking about this band and like why I didn't like them at first and why I've come to be pretty much obsessed with them. Like all all their albums I'm obsessed with. And I think that like traditionally for myself I like melodic music more than rhythmic music. Like I just emotionally respond to melodies and harmonies. This band I think of as more rhythm focused like definitely the drumming is just no question intense and pounding and the guitars are incredible but they're they're like accents to what's being built um yeah and i think uh, i love the way the album starts uh it just kind of like is the slow build warning you (laughs) slow
2: build is what i wrote next to that first song i just have a question for you dave yo is it cold february and are
1: you high I wish it was all those things, but no, it's warm. It's September. It's
2: like it's four straight minutes. It's like, we get it already.
1: I actually I actually love
2: it. I just, I, I bust balls. Pretty crazy to open an album with that though. Cause you know, usually your first track it's like, you know, you, you know, back in the day records were, you know, the, the song order was done. So like the first song was on each side, you know, like you get the single, you know what I mean? Or deliberately put at the end of each side to force you to listen to the whole thing. But to start a track like that, uh, a whole album like that with such an intense, slow build is pretty ballsy, but it pays off. And then when it goes into the second song, the wheel, that that's, can I get a hallelujah, so, that was um, phenomenal. To,
0: to, uh, to start an album with this song um, might be strange. But to start this album with that song, really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, where else would you me. put that song? Right, right. Like, yeah, if you put that, if you put that later, it's just going to be like, why is everything stopping and what is this? And like, it's foreboding. It's growing. It, it was giving me like a Leonard Cohen vibes. Right. Um, and there's actually, d- despite how intense this album
1: can be, there's actually a few. Uh, I wouldn't call them mellow songs, but there's like there's texture changes. Like maybe my favorite song, "Progress," which almost sounds like a Radiohead type uh-huh. ex- experimentation. And then actually, the first single off this album, before the album even came out, they released "Beachland Ballroom" as a single.
0: Yeah, and that's
1: that is um, almost like their take on
0: soul R&B motown song. Um, but if I could talk more about the first song, yeah. um, Are You Ready for the Storm, is kind of like pointing out how quickly life can change and asking the listener if they're ready for their the storm if they're on their proverbial motorcycle. Um, and then he also says, every promise I have sworn tonight, which is kind of like that moment where you feel like, you know, I would give everything up just just to not have this happen or to turn back time a little bit. So it's a a really, really good song.
2: Nice interpretation, Gene, I like it. And uh... I'm
0: a a lyrics master.
2: I know, that's this whole dichotomy with Gene and the lyrics, lyrics aren't important to him. He doesn't even care about how they sound. There's very few that even have anything worth saying. And then he just goes and waxes poetic about the first fucking track on his album for like 10 solid minutes. How it sets up the entire experience and journey you're about to undertake in life on your motorcycle.
1: this first track it it is very important is mysterious and intriguing and it hooked me now imagine if an album started with the wheel you know it's it could be cool could be great or if you're not used to hearing his voice and you're not you know you hear it's like this this great rock record and it just comes out pummeling you you know it might turn you off a little bit at first but i actually agree what song is that
0: do, do you mean the wheel?
1: the wheel i love how he says the wheel
2: yeah, I think if it started with the wheel, it might have been almost like, I mean, you know, some albums start really intense. But yeah, I, I like the intro nature of it.
0: It's also the the segue from the end of the first song into the wheel is is really jarring and cool.
2: I think the wheel is really kick-ass. I think they're fun at times for music that is kind of dark and heavy and this intense rhythm. I think like the new sensation, you know, it's like... You know, back in the day, people wrote a lot of songs about like dance crazes and dances and stuff. And it's like maybe there's some subtext that I'm not picking up on, but it's like it is like the weirdest, like odd dance song. But I um, I, I love it for some reason. I, I
0: can explain what the new sensation is about. Um, apparently there was a bus stop ad put out by the British government of a ballet dancer, and said like maybe her next career will be in cyber. Um, And apparently the band was offended that the government was saying artists needed to learn things like computers um, to make a living. And so all the stuff about retraining and the new sensation is a reaction to that, is what I've read. Oh, interesting.
2: That's cool. Yeah. I, I love that song. I thought it was great. And then I thought like, you know, maybe I, I definitely like some songs more than others for sure. But then the difference between this and McCluskey too, is like when I'm thinking, all right, this album, is this going to go downhill? Or are we going to have a, like a really good solid, like last quarter to me, it's excellent. Um, if it wasn't for that 30 seconds, Kalechi or Kalecki or whatever, I would say we get into a drug trilogy. Because Meds, Progress, and Wiz are like the drug trinity of this album, and it's so good. Meds is excellent. Dave mentioned Progress already, which to me is a very trippy departure for this album. Sounds awesome. I could definitely hear the radio head, very swirly, kind of like psychedelic, especially compared to the rest of the album. And then Wiz, which is my understanding, that's a British slang for speed, if you don't know which if you go back and listen to that 30 seconds of it it, it makes sense and um well that song was
0: clearly the high water mark on this record with the blast beats whiz i was just sitting there going like finally dave whiz is ripping <laughs> dave yeah. has recommended something it's 30 seconds long there's blast beats i thought you were gonna Although miss I was it annoyed. just like you did yeah. on the
1: uh the Dawnbringer album when you were like there were blast beats on that no nah, um no, I
2: definitely heard that. And then Kingsnake, like I said, to me, that was like the fall big time and awesome song. Um, for me? I, yeah, that oh. was really good. I thought it was really good.
0: Um, I it was really good. Uh, for me, I have a little trouble with what I call the post rock vocals. Um, and it's interesting, there's so much on this album that just reminds me of how different musical tastes are in America and England. And I'm like, this is an album you get when Joy Division is just as popular, if not more popular than New <laughs> Order. Like, you know, in, in America, it's not even close. And just like, I, I don't know, like the the whole, do you guys understand where I'm coming from with the idea of like post-rock vocals? Not sure. It's, like, it's, it's like the talking and kind um, of almost, it's a bit detached from the music a lot of the time, I feel so I think, I think those are some of the best songs um, I mean I think the, the first song really like that's just so impressive um, the second song's really good but you're mispronouncing the title Mark it's actually the wheel <laughs> wheel um, that, that, accent, that, that accent I always thought was a southern thing I want more chance I'm so- Again her again the wheel Until it's time I'm so it's time gonna get out of the year Mark did you catch what the wheel is about?
2: Um <laughs> You know, dude, uh, so the wheel, when I think uh, about The Wheel, I think about uh, the great, late great song, The Wheel by Jerry Garcia. And uh, I don't think it has anything to do with that whatsoever.
0: It is about the cycle of addiction that runs in a family. Okay. Because it turns like a wheel.
1: It's. Uh, I actually shared this album with another friend who i thought would like it i sent it to him and i was waiting and i was really excited to hear what they thought because like i said you know when you get obsessed with the band and you want to share it with everyone and you want to know what they think and you know a couple days were going by and i was curious and then out of nowhere i just forgot about it and then i get a text can i get a hallelujah yeah and i knew immediately (laughs) And his other comment was that the drums in that song because there's a couple points where it's just drums and he was like those drums are begging to be in a movie they're just begging for it and i'm like i don't even think about it but i could see it now now that you put you, that in do my head you know head.
0: what those drums remind me of but they remind me of a song i really don't like but i think you guys do which is um lust civ, for life which is civ, <laughs> civ can't wait one minute <laughs> yeah i get why you would say that it's because it's
2: no snares it's all like floor toms it's,
0: it's also a really similar rhythm if, if i'm not yeah. mistaken but
2: yeah. yeah the but, the wheel is great the way he sings that can i get a hallelujah oh man so that's I, I, I was a believer
0: here's what i don't understand about that is this is something i would associate strongly with like southern protestant american music gospel music and um it's interesting for someone whose influences are radiohead and the strokes or this contemporary stuff like how does that stuff still resonate
1: well, I should say that Joe Talbot actually also is a big like old school R and B soul.
0: Oh, I guess yeah, you said you said he the the, the Beachland ballroom you can clearly hear. Right. Some and energy. on an
1: earlier album they cover Sam Cooke, I think.
0: Okay Oh wow. Yeah Yeah.
1: That's cool. Yeah, and uh but back to the wheel for a second and the drums. I just want to shout out John Beavis, the drummer, because he's incredible, man. He's <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you for the Beavis and Butt i laugh but he is just a great example of a dude who plays the perfect thing. You know, he's, I I can't tell how talented he is compared to other drummers, but it's irrelevant because like he just is perfect in every song. He's playing exactly what he needs to play. And oftentimes he kind of takes over and is the star of the show. And I also think it's kind of funny that within the band and their image, they're also colorful and have these like quirky personalities. And he is like, kind of the bunny carlos you know he just looks like you know not quite as nerdy but compared to the other guys he, he looks pretty square you know he'll just be wearing like a, a golf polo or something and a, a nike hat and just shredding the drums while the other guys look like they're you know out of a meth head's nightmare <laughs> look i'm just surprised gene hasn't called these guys posers for using a, a blast beat and actually, even on the end, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's almost like weird black metal backup vocals. I feel like there's, yes, th- there's weird shrieking. Yes, I did, not, I did
0: not catch that.
2: And I, I definitely did. I think absolutely, it t- it totally it's a works. weird shrieking, intense vocal that's just a little bit under in the mix oh, where so the actual vocals are going, but underneath it, and it, it actually is a very effective thing. You can you, you don't even realize you're hearing it at first. You kind got of to feel it. And then upon further listens, I definitely could pick it out.
0: Dave, um, I just, I love Blast Beats. Um, I think they belong in so many more places than they are. Um, And here's the thing about Wiz. This is clearly a throwaway song that they wanted to insert there. I have, I do not understand why it was included in this album. But a song like that, I'm just kind of like, that's cool and that's all there is to say about it like it's just (laughs) kind of you know yes you you just you just spent 30 seconds going absolutely nuts and i'm never going to knock that
1: i i truly think like the more obsessed I have become with idols and like really digging deep into all their albums and watching live footage i think joe talbot's an incredible frontman like and also if you guys like the album Beyond checking out the albums, highly recommend watching some YouTube of them live because they are a show. They're kind of like almost like cartoon characters where they all have like weird personas. You know, um, uh, Mark Bowen, one one of the guitarists, he and one of the songwriters who produced the album. He kind of looks like a weird, I don't know, like a, a Russian character with like a he's Irish, but he's got like this big handlebar mustache and he wears dresses on stage a lot. And they kind of, the way they play their guitars, it, it's like Dillinger Escape Plan light. Like, it, it's 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 not
0: as Which violent. Which means they play their guitars in some way.
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, they might not decapitate each other, but they could knock some teeth out. Because, okay. All right. Because they're just swinging their instruments around and headbanging and Talbot, man, when he's singing these songs, it looks like veins are gonna pop out of his forehead. Yeah. And he's like barking like a dog and just yelping and just uh, uh, just a thousand percent commitment to this band. It's crazy to watch.
2: Yeah, I need to watch them live video. I will say that I in just reading about them and stuff, I've definitely seen many photos of them live and everyone is like <laughs> in like almost in catcher position, mm-hmm. like down low and like vein in the forehead popping, like
1: yeah, rage. Incredible.
2: I think He is—he is, has the tone of his voice. I also love his accent too. Yeah, I just he's, think it's a really, really cool sounding voice. But like his tone, it's like this low, like it's very expressive and really great. So, and I certainly, I certainly don't feel like it's high art, but I appreciated the album cover of this album much more than McCluskey for sure. It's, it's kind of trippy, and it's like a person's like levitating in front of that house
1: or whatever. I an don't ast- do, in, an astronaut outfit. I, I think it's, yeah, felt very
2: like a mo- Kind of a lot of this felt like a movie to me. It's funny that you say that with the drums and stuff. Like, yeah, some of it, you know, that album cover and everything. It's it's dark, you know. It you has know, like the, a dark.
0: The album cover, a, it's it's cool enough, but if you really think about it, I don't really see the connection between the cover and the album. This is a very grimy album, a very like deep and kind of. Uh, hard-hitting album and the album covers like the house is really well lit and there's an astronaut kind of floating next to the house which is like the album's called crawler and it's really about like addiction mistakes and redemption so i don't know he's
1: he's being redeemed he's floating away from his problems
0: maybe why is he an astronaut (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I will say there's certainly a bit of artsy-fartsiness to Idols um, that might turn people off, but I love it. So uh, all their album covers are really cool and unique. I think they put a lot of thought into things like that and their videos and, you know.
2: Even the stylization of their name, all in caps.
1: I will say that um, I've, I've been listening to this album so much lately that... It inevitably it was going to happen that my daughter happened to be in the room when I was listening to it a little bit and I didn't want to just shut it off. Cause I was just curious. It's such a unique, weird sound. I'm like, how is she going to react to it? And she was really taken with the new sensation. And look, when I told her it was kind of like a dance song, uh-huh. I was like, all right, get on all fours, smack that dance <laughs> floor. <laughs> and then she, she it's so cute hearing her say, you know, it's your head's on fire like your Richard Pryor. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh yeah, the Richard Pryor shout out. I like that. Yeah. So come on, everybody, get down to this shit.
1: So good. Oh man. So when four when four-year-olds are liking it and adults are liking it, you
0: know, it's probably a new sensation. Did I tell you guys about um my daughter coming up to me? Is this weird Al and me saying, no, this is the Smiths? <laughs> yeah, <it's> so good. <laughs> <laughs> what song was it? The Queen is Dead. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. I mean, maybe she
1: thought it was like a parody of current events. Maybe.
0: I would love to tell Morrissey to his space. My daughter thinks she's like weird owl.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah.
0: Do you do another one rides the bus? <laughs>
1: <laughs> my balona That was the Smiths, right? No?
2: Well, the Queen did love Rocky Road. So
1: <laughs> That's true. She did. Well, I feel like so, we, we've crawled through this mess, this dirty album, and I'm curious to hear what you guys think.
0: Oh, it's great. Um, I'm, I'm like super excited that you recommended this band just because like, I had no idea this band existed. Just didn't, didn't know. Um, They've got a cool sound that to me is uh, quite unique. Um, I can't imagine, Mark, if you say they're heavily influenced by that uh, by the fall. Um, This has to be at least, you know, a a rather modern take on it. Um, Definitely. This album's book ended incredibly well with that first song and the last song. Um, The the one-two punch of the Beachland Ballroom and Crawl. It's just really great. Um, it's got blast beats in one place. There's there's so much to like about this album. Um, the vocals are a little bit difficult for me, uh, and when they don't work, it just kind of goes off the rails and it's it takes me out. Um, I would say about half the songs I'm not really interested in hearing again. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, like I don't need to hear a New Sensation again. Like it's. To me, Thank you
2: so much, Dave, for bringing this band to my attention. Never would have heard of them, and half these songs I never want to hear again.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I like, you know, <laughs> the songs I like, I like, you know. Um, yeah, so there's a lot I like here. This is not particularly the style of music I listen to often, um, and occasionally it gets into a realm of this just isn't working for me, but it's really good, and I'm really happy to learn of this band. So B+.
1: Good grade. Good grade. Let's see if uh, Mark is as generous. Well, you know, Idols is one of those bands. I mean, you can say this with a million
2: bands, especially if you're a big music fan and you read a lot about music. Definitely a band that I've heard the name. They've crossed my path and reviews and whatever, but never, never dived in. Dove in? Dived in?
0: I think both are acceptable.
2: Okay. Thank you. Uh, Never took the plunge. And I also am very glad that I did Um, when it started, like I said, it was just so different. And I'm like, what it's like, I needed to like readjust myself a little bit. And it's not to say like, Oh my God, like I'm so out of touch. And this, this album was released in 2021. It's like so new and radical, but it was just like, you know, I listened to a lot of older music and we'll talk about classical and stuff like this just hit me in a different way. Um, But it was really refreshing and, I think Joe Talbot is an incredible frontman. I think his voice is spectacular. I like his style. Um I also happen to love post-rock and you mentioned Joy Division. I mentioned The Fall uh, way too many times. Um but whether it's Public Image Limited or whatever, you know, we can name a million bands. Um I just happen to love that late 70s post-rock stuff. And um, I feel like having a band that's kind of a modern take on that is great. So it's kind of in my wheelhouse. And um, I definitely, I wouldn't say any of these songs were total throwaways or anything that like I really didn't like. But um, even by the time we got to like Wiz and then King Snake, I thought it's just pumping. I loved it. I was like, this is a very good album. And I actually enjoyed it more after each listen. And I think the best compliment I could give, you know, an album when it's assigned to me, especially if it's somebody I've never heard before, is that I do want to listen to more of their stuff. I'd like to go back and check out more of their albums. So it's pretty much the highest compliment I can give somebody um, after a first listen. And all of that taken into consideration, um, I too am going to give it a B plus.
0: Excellent. So
1: Idols is sitting pretty
0: Actually, I think if I could summarize what Mark just said, this album hit a little differently. Like Steph Curry said of his most recent NBA championship.
2: <laughs>
1: oh,
2: oh, jeans guy, jeans out for blood today.
1: <laughs> Shots fired to the Boston hosts. <laughs> Oof. Well, I'm I'm delighted that you guys like this album because as I said, I'm I'm in love with it and in love with the band, so I'm I'm really pleased to hear that it resonated with you guys too. Um, Yeah, and like like I said it in the last episode when I introed the album, but part of why I wanted to assign it was just that I know we can all feel a little out of touch with the current music scene. And I'm always looking for, you know, we were just so lucky to come up at a time when, you know, as music listeners, when there were things like Lollapalooza and 120 Minutes and, you know, Headbangers Ball and I could have seen Idol's being played on any of those shows. I could have seen idols playing Lollapalooza with L7 and Body Count and Rollins Band and Nine Inch Nails, you know, it would fit right uh-huh. in. And it's actually, it, but part of it does surprise me that they are as popular as they are cause they are confrontational and aggressive. And I think they have a very healthy fan base. And I think a big part of the reason besides that they're just great and write great songs is that they kind of mix like a dark heavy sound with slivers of optimism and hope and like they in a way similar to turnstile which is one of my favorite albums and favorite bands of last year where i think they bring this heavy music but kind of try and have an optimistic point of view filtered through it you know unlike a lot of metal bands or hardcore bands or punk bands you know which is interesting it's it takes some adjusting, (laughs) but uh, Gene's throwing up the horns right now, but yeah, man, this album just crushes me and I've listened to it so many times. It's just very potent. It's got simple songs, but they just leave spaces for really interesting sounds. And I I struggled with the grade because as much as I love it, I, I can acknowledge that there are times when on something like the new sensation, the lyrics can be repetitious or a car crash can be a little obnoxious with the rapping uh but man in the end just the taken as a whole work and a whole kind of cinematic experience i'm just too in love with this album to give it anything less than an a plus good for you i like it speaking of good albums shall we (laughs) shall we segue so smoothly into a recording of gustav holst's the planet's performed by the Boston Symphony Orchestra, conducted by William Steinberg.
2: So, yeah, um, I just for the record, I always thought it was Gustav Holst because one of, my, one of if not my favorite, um, composer of all time is Gustav Mahler. But I was corrected in a video I watched not too long ago that it's Gustav Holst. I guess the English pronunciation is Gustav. And um, folks like uh, Mahler and German, Austrian, that would be Gustav, but he was Gustav. Anyway.
1: My apologies we'll ref- to Gustav. We'll refer
2: to him as Holst. So anyways, I, um, I love classical music. I came to it from the rock world, specifically through Frank Zappa, was my conduit to classical music and grew to really love love it. And, but I would find myself anytime I was listening to classical music, I would be like, but this could be jazz. And I would just go back to jazz and go back to jazz until finally I just really didn't. And so when it was time to pick a piece of classical music, um, I had some decisions to make and thought long and hard about how crazy I wanted to get, how epic do I want to go, do I want to do something super old, something more contemporary. And I thought of the planets because it tends to be, well, first of all, it's part of the core classical repertoire. I wanted to pick something that is like pretty much widely known in the classical sphere, something that's still performed often but, um, it's also a manageable time length. You know, I think it's only about 40 something minutes, but the planets happens to be one of those works that, and this was the same for me. Um, when you're first getting into classical music, it tends to be one of the first ones you get into, especially if you're coming to classical by way of rock music. It was composed in 1914 to 1917, uh, had its premiere in 1918. And, um, I came to this recording a little bit later. I picked it for a number of reasons. The first being my connection to the Boston Symphony Orchestra. The second, I um, do also have a connection to New England Conservatory, the school here in Boston. The last um, movement of the planets, Neptune the Mystic, has a wordless chorus of women. And that's the New England Conservatory Chorus conducted by Lorna Cook-DeVarren. So I felt a personal connection um, but I also wanted it to be a great performance.
0: This is something that I have a really hard time with. Um, I don't experience music in a way that I could listen to something that's 45 minutes long, the same piece of music as another piece and be able to say like, well, these were the differences like that. Sure. Like there's no, just it, it... general sound. I mean i know the conductor changes things and i know the recordings can be different certain aspects have a little bit more personal flair than others but man that's just
2: no i totally understand for the longest time i never bought a second cd of the same work because i'm like i want to just get what's considered the number one performance of said work and yep. that's the one i would get and i'm still because I, I can't buy everything of everything and in the age of spotify you can favorite stuff so on my phone i have like 25 copies of the planets and um dave Hurwitz runs down his list of favorites and when he gets to the steinberg performance he references how this particular recording is much faster huh. um holst himself conducted a few performances really early on and you can imagine they're very very raw quality but i guess he performed it kind of on the faster side and um herwitz talks about how this particular recording is basically like no holds barred full throttle faster than usual and it's like a very like big energetic go for the gusto kind of a performance compared to others and he considers it a very fantastic recording so all of that said, that's why I picked this one.
1: It's certainly but, a robust
2: sound. It's Deutsche Grammophon, who are one of the premier classical record labels. They're one of three or four. them, Decca, EMI, Warner, um, RCA. Those are kind of like your biggies.
0: Is the planets well respected by classical aficionados? Because for me, this seems overly accessible Um, and also it's a collection of uh, seven I don't know if you would call them movements, they're songs and each of the songs tends not to have a
2: suite I would consider it a suite with movements
0: yeah okay okay a suite of movements but each of the movements doesn't have too much um like i think i it was he wanted to for each planet have music that evoked a feeling but there there's not much in the way of stark contrast within a movement and then also there's not really an overarching theme across movements so i would have guessed that this is kind of viewed by classical music people as a little bit of like, oh, yeah, that's like... Entry level? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that this music is very well respected amongst classical music fans. And I think everybody, if you love classical music, owns one copy of The Planets. But sure, I think you kind of probably graduate from this into bigger, more complicated, or more emotionally draining, whatever... Um, classical music. This is definitely much more entry level. Each piece has um, its own very distinct feel and I think it's very easy to know what the composer is intending for each of these movements Um, and you know people like to shit on like Bolero by Ravel for instance which I absolutely adore Bolero and it's one of my wife's favorite pieces of music and there's nothing wrong with that. I think if you're comparing it to Mahler who would write like an 80 minute symphony where literally Mahler's whole MO was that I want my symphonies to encompass the world. I mean, everything. It's so like, you know, it's overused, but it's so epic that this is going to come off as very simple, the planets, but that's part of why I wanted to choose it because I'm hoping that if people are following along with us and listening to the album assignments and um, I'm hoping for anybody that doesn't know classical music, this would be a great beginner's point. And Mars, the bringer of war is, I mean, that rhythm and that intensity make that an electric guitar. And it's basically like, that's proto metal right there. And you can hear Mars, the bringer of war in pretty much all of star Wars. So right off the bat, one one that it hooks, it hooks you.
0: not, Not only Mars bringer of war, but just like, I heard this and I'm like I'm going to need some serious explaining if this wasn't John Williams favorite <laughs> like yeah. like so much John Williams like Yeah, he's
2: performed the, the planets and right? it's well known that it was an influence on Star Wars. I don't right. know if it's his favorite. But, but not only but that. It's definitely like, an influence.
0: There was bits of 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 Venus that I was like I kind of might there's a little melody there that feels like uh, part of the superman soundtrack um, uh-huh. when i heard know.
1: jupiter i thought there were ewoks in my room for yeah minutes. like um <laughs> you know I, I
0: think i was thinking like <laughs> just like i was like i'm not sure there is john williams as we know him um if not for for this totally
2: and, and that's actually, the cool thing it's like it has a little bit of something for everybody like it's got the heaviness of mars it's got the beauty of venus which is incredible jupiter to me has like the hooks like i thought dave for sure would like latch onto some of like the melodic hooks in that and then for the stoners neptune ending with that yeah. wordless female chorus that's the one that all the, the trippy heads would listen to late at night
1: I think Neptune was the one that stood out to me as something that I hadn't heard before. I didn't hear the influence of anything else on it. I didn't know it from a movie or a show. And I, I was really impressed with, you know, that was probably the standout for me. It's like, okay. Cause a lot of, a lot of the, the pieces were just like a, a little too frivolous sounding and silly. I felt like it was like a Renaissance fair or science or science fiction. <laughs> there,
0: there is no loot on this album. Or liar,
1: yeah, but Neptune to me was like evocative and like stood out from the rest of the tracks as being like mysterious, and maybe it was the the choral work towards the end of it that like made it haunting, and sure, but yeah, and yeah. it's strong with that one,
2: I mean, is there any music like more like like progier than classical music? I mean, everything's in like seven parts, and so it's like. I don't a know. Good,
1: this this feels pretty tame compared to a yeses relayer.
0: <laughs> a good, <laughs> a good exercise. And I saw this all on uh, uh, Wikipedia for, for this would be to go through and just try to uh, play. Um, what's the time signature? Um, they're really all over the map. Like, I'm just not good at that, and I could get better. But like, Mars is in five four. Um, Uranus starts in six four and then goes to nine four. Um, you know, it's really hard to it's really hard to pick out nine four. You're, it just well, to me it's weird. hard enough counting
2: um, rhythm and time signature just on like traditional rock music. Yeah, let alone classical.
0: So I would I would also say with Neptune, I uh, the Mystic I see like a, a Bernard Herman influence. Yeah. There's no, absolutely. I've
2: I've heard of some radio stations that would play Neptune like late at night for people.
1: I heard some Bernard Herrmann in Saturn as well. I mean, of course, a lot of our references are um, movie composers, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, just Saturn had a bit of that like suspense movie feel to it with the like urgency of the ticking clock kind of sound
2: that it had. That's totally deliberate, by the way, to evoke time passing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah there is a genius to classical composition that is just very difficult for me to understand the idea of writing music for so many pieces that have to kind of live in your head because you know they did not have the ability to like try it out necessarily i mean obviously they they do but i think more or less most of these great composers, you know, found ways to write very intricate things before it was really introduced. So that's like a genius, Right, yeah, of course. However, um, I take, there is definitely this idea that classical music is kind of more elevated and better than other music. And I, I feel the need to like aggressively reject that Because I do think, like, um, it's like, you can't say certain, like, technical death metal is just, like, it's just too many notes and too much. It's all a jumble. It all gets lost. But, hey, those classical guys were geniuses because they wrote for huge orchestras and they had so many parts. You know what I mean? It's the same thing, but there's an air of like there's an elevated thing about classical that i think is a little overstated like it's still just kind of delivering music and they're doing it in a very grand way but it's also a very um there are many traditions and there are many other like rules to it all that i think this is just other music I don't I'm not arguing you with no, no, you on no, this I, point. No, it is just another
2: it is another music. I get
0: that. And and, and actually well. nowadays nowadays nobody very few people choose these restrictions these days. Um one of them is for economical reasons. It's just really expensive. Uh if you if you ever read like a Frank Zappa book, he's like constantly complaining about how expensive it is to, to write classical music. And have it performed. Right. Um, because back then, you know,
2: nowadays they have some computer program. I remember there was one right. called Sibelius, where you write the little dots on the staff and then you hit play and you can hear it played back for you. Get a sense of what you think. Back in the day, yep. you need to give those pieces of paper out to an orchestra to actually hear your works performed.
0: Yeah. That's but not it, easy. That's not like, easy. That's not easy. And I and I I use the word not like I'm not just throwing it out there. These people were geniuses. But the end work, given the tool, like it's almost like that genius has become devalued because of the tools we have now. And when I say devalued, I'm not saying there are less of geniuses because they could do that. But nowadays, it just matters less. Oh, wow, you can hold the whole thing in your head as you're writing and still have it be good. Okay, well, Bob over here, he can't do that, but he's taking the time and working it out on his computer so he hears how all the parts sound together. And ultimately, it's the end product that really matters.
2: Yeah, creation is creation and and how you come to your end result is respectable no matter in which form. I just think for classical music, I I don't wanna put a percentage, but I would assume 90% of all classical music composers know the actual music notation art of music writing which is people go to school for that. I worked for these schools and you, there's, uh, you have to learn about tempo and rhythm and how to actually mark pieces dots on pieces of paper. Frank Zappa had the ability of sitting on the toilet with a blank, blank sheet of staff paper, writing dots on the paper. He thought they looked really cool. And he didn't even know what they sounded like at first until yeah. he like figured it out. Um, and that's what sets it apart. It's two opposite sides of my brain. I love improvisational music where it's music made in that moment and then that moment's gone and it's gone forever. And then you have classical music where it's written on in a piece of paper and it will stand the test of time forever. And that's the cool thing is when you go hear a performance of the planets, it's that orchestra and it's that conductor. So things are going to be a little different. It might be a little faster, slower. But those notes, essentially, that, that music is exactly how it was performed in 1918 and that that will be passed on forever you know and I think that's a very special thing and yes writing for 80 instruments in your head and having to write out that couple of bars for the English horn and then the timpani part and the whatever to have it all come together and coalesce into something that sounds like Venus to me is so beyond anything to me that it's it's just it's mind-blowing genius but you're also dealing with this this is just fantastic music not all classical is this good but most people when they listen to classical you're going to listen to the heavy hitters so just tell me like i'm just curious i know it's a weird thing i mean you're so used to talking about albums and rock bands and it's easier to be like oh i like this album i didn't like this song and this moment was cool but like here it's i mean classical it's like it's a whole experience like did it bore you at times? Was parts of it really cool and other parts you kind of fell out of it? Did you go on
1: the whole thing? I was bored at times, but I also was moved at times. And, and, you know, and this particular piece that you selected, I think it was a great choice for an assignment for the reasons you stated. But at the same time, it is fighting the fact that we're so familiar with what it spawned. So in my head, I'm like, yeah. I can't hear Mars and just be blown away by it. I hear Mars and I'm impressed by it, but I'm also thinking about John Williams the whole time. It's like, it's impossible. It's impossible not to. I I understand.
0: Not only do I own a CD of the, of the planets, um, it is the Penguin Classics CD, which I'm guessing is not, I, I don't, I, something tells me like Penguin Classics probably isn't making the best recorded CDs, um, but I've actually seen this performed live as well. You, you mean this guy right here? Whoa. Um, okay. No, but but I mean I have the C V, it's not a book.
2: <laughs> yeah. So the, the Penguin Guide was one of the most famous reference guides for classical recordings for years and years. They don't I don't think they make it anymore. That's why mine's from 08. It was like the last year where it was like full. Yeah. And they have like special albums get a certain like Rosetta stone assigned to it for very special recordings. And they actually released some of those as oh, like a okay. penguin okay. penguin classics. See, so i don't know the exact recording you have i don't know if you know, know who the conductor is but whatever recording you have is probably particularly special my guess is that it's charles Dutoit and the montreal symphony
1: oh shit uh, okay. it's a good game.
2: which is a which is an, a phenomenal recording and considered one of like kind of the benchmarks and i think that's like considered the penguin guide like rosetta Stone version.
0: Mark,
1: do you have a favorite movement in this
2: piece? Um, You know, I said Jupiter because that hook in the middle, I know it's kind of cheesy, but it just gets me every time, you know? So I, I love the hook of Jupiter, but Neptune is the mind blower. That's the trippy psychedelic part of the piece, which I love. And of course, Mars is amazing. I feel something during Venus. I just think it's so like achingly fucking beautiful. It's Martin. just listen. Listen to the melody and the intertwining of the of the instruments. It's just so gorgeous. I don't know. It just fills you. You're me with saying pleasure.
0: Venus. Venus was
2: Venus, the bringer of peace. Yeah.
0: So, Marcus, you were absolutely incredible. correct about um, the conductor and the uh, it's the uh, Montreal Orchestra. Wow, Montreal Orchestra, not Montreal Symphony. Yeah, my bad. No, Charles no, D-12. no, uh, sorry, Orchestra Symphonique de Montreal.
1: So there you go. So if any of our listeners are going to a classical music trivia night, Mark is the one to take. Mark <laughs> is the ringer.
0: And if he's not on your team, he will crush you.
2: It just happens to be my thing right now. I'm definitely very much into classical recordings. And um it's all on social it's all on streaming services. You can find that particular recording. It's a good one.
0: So um I, I think though, like one of the things I would say about this album though, which which I or about this um work is that like there's there's really kind of three answers i think to which of these movements do you like best i mean they're just for me mars and and jupiter and neptune are just so much above everything else and like i get venus i think venus is probably the next best one although maybe you could say saturn um but I think there's a there's there's a goal for me at least i don't know and and yeah i just you know in talking about this i just wanted to be like i don't i don't have any shame in saying like i just don't really care much for for uranus the the magician Um, i don't care much for uranus either (laughs) (laughs) how to do it too quick how to do it too quick so, um, <laughs> or like S- Saturn, the bringer of old age. I, I think like, it's. I it's, like that one. Is but that it, but I think it's more it's more clever than yeah. than good is is like like he he evokes the passing of time by using an orchestra and he evokes almost like an orbit where you feel and there's this one part where there's like this very ominous. Um, feeling of something approaching and then it just kind of passes and you could feel that in the music but it's not that that's that's kind of like the the most you could say about it for me and so like I don't know just
2: that's all fair I mean it's just because it's like it's a piece of classical it's like kind of legendary it's from early 1900s like people are gonna love and hate certain things and that's the that's the beauty of it there's so much you know
1: and we can all agree that mercury is just a piece of
0: trash it's just not good no i i, I like i like mercury better than you know i i watch herwitz's youtube clips all the
2: time he says like you know and like of the whatever you know brahms symphonies this this, this i'm i'm not paraphrasing i'm just making this up but they'll just be like this part of the second symphony of brahms are just like i don't like it just yeah. doesn't do it for me and that's fine it's just yeah. his personal opinion you know he's like schumann just never really did it for me i came around late to it i hated his early stuff his piano work suck and like i know it sounds weird to hate on things like schumann or brahms or whatever but it's your personal opinion
1: i mean co- composing a symphony like this based on the planets is just conceptually brilliant
0: i mean yeah. it, it's just N- never been done it ties it, the room together how how old was he when he did this Um, Well, let's do the math
2: here. He was born in 1874.
0: Is is he Child Star or is he uh, Sir Alec Guinness? Um, (laughs) All of whom have to live with being identifiable for something that really doesn't necessarily best represent them.
2: He was 40 when he wrote this. Okay, 40 to 43. He was born in 1874 and this was composed in the beginning in 1914 to 1917
0: somewhat related uh, on the first nile album they um, nile is a death metal band i think they're they're a very very heavy death metal band um and they have kind of an egyptian feel to all of their music um mm-hmm. th- they have a song called ramsey's bringer of war
2: oh well, there you go is,
0: which is essentially a cover of mars bringer of war the whole intro is intact. Then there's a point where it goes into kind of just a death metal portion. But then they use some themes from Mars with the guitars later. It's kind of, it's pretty cool. I'll check that out. I'd like to hear that. I also
2: think it would be kind of like a fun, like April Fool's like prank to like have a Nile concert and then everyone shows up like ready to rage. But you didn't look at the announcement Carefully enough, and like it's very, very small letters underneath. It said Rogers. (laughs) So then, when you when the lights go down and the fucking band comes on stage, it's actually Nile Rogers.
0: Excellent promotional idea, Mark. (laughs) Very cool. So is it
1: is it time to uh, grade a freak? Grade a master. Mark, very glad that you assigned this. It was high time for us to delve into your passion for classical. And I think you picked a good one, a very accessible lot to talk about with this one. But I regret to inform that this wasn't the one for me. It didn't speak to me on an emotional level besides a couple moments. As we said, you know, Mars is undeniable. Neptune is very special but for me, the big bulk of the piece, I found really sappy and saccharine and I just couldn't get past it. I, I, the beauty that a lot of people see in it, it was just a little too twee and fanciful for me. Um, And I, you know, (laughs) I liked like the, the edgy raw weirdness of something like Neptune or the heaviness of Mars, you know, but then just the vast bulk of this is just kind of, uh, was hard for me to really sink my teeth into. Although uh, Saturn had some moments of creating mystery and suspense that I appreciated. And look, there's no denying that this is, you know, a masterpiece and classic for a reason, but as far as what I'm looking for in classical, for the most part, this wasn't it with those exceptions. Um, so I have to respect it. Um, and I, I love the concept of it. but just on a practical level, if I d- see myself in a classical mood, the planets is probably not what I'm reaching for, you know, amongst the, the very few symphonies that I'm familiar with, you know with uh-huh. f- from the master. So uh, I give this a B minus, which is actually lower. Than McCluskey's McCluskey. He's just saying, he's
0: just pointing that out to insult you. Yeah, yeah. I love it.
2: I love it. I think it's so great.
1: So, you know, nice try, Gustav. (laughs) Call me when you write something. Andy Falkus. Yeah. Gustav.
2: I mean, Gustav Hulse said a lot, but not as much as Gareth Brown
0: said.
1: this is true oh
0: man so um i think i just view this as because there are not themes across these movements um it's very easy to just view this as songs this is a relatively short um suite and i don't how long is this 36 minutes
2: i think on average it's like call it 40 i think it's kind of where it where it falls
0: so for me, this is uh quick listen. There's seven movements and I think three of them are amazing. Um, furthermore, there's another one or two that I find very, very interesting. To me, that's that's really good. And like, I just, you know, like listening to Mars, Bringer of War, like I'm telling you when that one theme comes in like the tingles every time, like just that's, oh, that's it's amazing. And, um, and you know, I can, you know, and and I can also say that Jupiter is just majestic and grand and beautiful. And, and I, you know, when you, when we say like, we hear things here or there, that's just, we hear influences later. That's like, that's a testament to what this album is. Um, So when's the next time I'll listen to it all the way through, I don't know, Um, but this is very good. Um, I certainly can listen to things like this uh, and appreciate them and enjoy them. Um, So I'm going to give an A minus, which by the way is bigger than what I gave idols, Dave. So you can suck on that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I really appreciate you guys. uh, And all of your thoughts on this, you know, it was a leap of faith for me. I think the planet's brilliant. I love the concept of it. I happen to love space shit, and obviously its influence is so far reaching. There are moments of Mars, Venus, and Jupiter that are like transcendent for me where I lose myself completely, and definitely Neptune, especially the end. Um, Mercury, Saturn is great, but a little less so than some of the others, and Uranus, and it doesn't blow me away, it's good. I think I would almost like those pieces more if I put it on just and listen to that one piece, just Mercury, and then shut it off. I think in the context of the whole thing, um, it could get a little lost. And that can be the case sometimes with classical music in general. I would say for anybody that's like it's a bit much to listen all seven in a row, just go and just put on Jupiter next time. Or just put on Venus and listen to the beauty of it. You might appreciate it more than being like, whoa, and all right, it, and, you know, a piece ends, and then it's like, oh, we're right into Saturn. It's like, you might lo- lose it a little bit because it's it's overwhelming. But yeah, I think it's brilliant. It's incredibly classic. And I think this recording, it sounds really good. Um, the performance is really, it's, it's an, I don't know. I just love it. I think it sounds amazing. And I think the Boston Symphony Orchestra, is one of the great music organizations in the world. Assigning a letter grade, I don't know. I'll, I'll say because The Planets isn't my favorite classical work of all time, um, I, I won't give it an A+, plus, but I'll give it an A.
1: Well, shall we yeah. be- begin the next assignment? Yeah. As Mark goes first.
2: Um, so this recommendation is an album that I have heard many times. But I haven't picked it up in a while. And I'm actually like, I'm using this podcast as a way for I'll pick it up for the first time in a while. So I'm going to make you pick it up for the first time, probably in a while. It's uh, definitely considered a seminal recording uh, in the history and development of punk rock. Uh, I know I said that about the monks, but this is a little bit later. This came out in November of 1975. And it is. Horses by Patty Smith.
1: Cool choice. All right, I'm, I'm picking another album that's considered a classic in some circles. Um, it's a genre we haven't really covered yet. Um, How is that possible? Polka. Yeah, I'm curious to see if you guys can take a stab at this one. Uh, I'll say this group toured with Public Enemy at one point. They were short-lived, and on this particular album, they recorded at least a couple of the songs with a, a very well-known producer who is anachronistic toward the sound that they're creating. And the biggest clue I can give you is the band is named after a Leonard Cohen song. Oh. Are we going golf? We we are. It's spooky season is upon us. So oh, S- time, Sisters time of Mercy. In. Sisters of Mercy, Floodland.
0: I love it okay my album i think is very predictable oh boy um you you guys would have suspected that something like this was coming but i need to talk I'm scared uh <laughs> this i need to talk about this band in this mark. period with you guys
1: mark hold me um, oh god
0: originally oh, no. i had some idea that i would give you certain cues and let you choose among four options, but then I decided to give you no choice and just select the album myself because it is my assignment. The year is 2007 and it is a band you both know I adore. It is the Dillinger Escape Plan, IRE works. I-R-E works.
2: But man, Horses, Floodland, and ironworks Well, this is, uh boy, look out when you're on the subway in Boston for the next couple of weeks, <laughs> people, because I'm going to be a freaking basket
1: case listening to all of this shit. Yeah. Take me back to the Congos. Nobody
0: there, except for the birds around the New England farm. And they gathered in all directions like roses. They scattered, and they were like compass squares. In, in terms of sorrows. More music, more music, more